0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host Snigdha and with me today are two News Laundry reporters, Nidhi and Ayush. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. And also joining us today is Damni Ken. So Damni is a student of political science at Delhi University and she's worked in the field of academic research and she's presented papers in international conferences on issues related to democratic processes, gender, caste and political economy. And her opinion pieces uh, on contemporary politics and social movements have been published on various platforms. Uh, She's also been awarded the Padshala Champion of the Day Award in 2016 by Hindustan Times uh, for teaching underprivileged children. And Damini is actively involved in student politics and she hails from Western Uttar Pradesh. Thank you so much for joining us, Damini. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, dear listeners, this episode of Reporters Without Orders um, deals with a sensitive subject. So you might hear descriptions of violence. So please consider this a trigger warning. And um, also in view of what we're discussing today, we are skipping the bizarre news section altogether. Okay, so before we begin, I want to tell all the new listeners about News Laundry. We are a 100% ad-free news platform and we need your support to stay afloat. So please subscribe to us and pay to keep news free.
1: And if you're listening to us on platforms like Spotify, Stitcher or iTunes, remember we have our website www.newslaundry.com. You can check it out where we have original reportage, podcasts, interviews that might interest you.
0: Yes. So listeners, last week, uh, we talked to Nidhi and Akanksha about the forceful burning of the Hathras girl's body by the UP police. Uh, In case you missed last week's episode, we talked about the Hathras case where four upper caste men raped and brutalized a 19-year-old Dalit girl who died after a few weeks. And now what followed was... um, uh, what followed the forceful cremation was actually even worse. Uh, the girl's family were not allowed to meet media or any political leaders. Basically, anybody who wanted to support them, they were not allowed to meet. Um, and it's now it's important to note that uh, the family, uh, the girl's family is only one out of four valmiki families in the village, which is dominated by upper caste Thakurs. Uh, now, most of us know that the four men who were quote-unquote alleged rapists are also talkers. Now, with all that has happened... Uh the family has expressed their fear of living in the village. Uh, The UP government uh, imposed Section 144 in Hathras. And uh, they also filed an FIR against Bhim Army Chief Chandrasekhar Azad, uh, who had gone to Hathras to to show his support to the family, and also 400 other people who visited Hathras. Uh, for failing to comply with Section 144. Uh, But on the same day, a huge meeting of upper caste Thakur men from villages around Hathras had taken place at a local BJP leader's house. Uh, Not just that, these upper caste Thakur men, they also held a protest in support of the accused outside the Dalit girls' village. Um, Of course, that is okay, according to the government. Um, And next, we saw the UP government claim that there was an international plot to defame Ajay Bisht or the Yogi Adityanath government uh, to incite caste and communal rights in Uttar Pradesh. Now, for those of you who do not know, the chief minister himself be- belongs to the upper caste Thakur community. So you can put two and two together. Um, and in its affidavit in the Supreme Court, the UP government claimed that the cremation was performed with full rights and customs, and it was performed at night to maintain law and order. Now. It also said that the family was present for the cremation and had agreed to it. Now, based on what our own reporters, News Laundry reporters, Nidhi and Akankha and many others had reported, this claim, like many other claims by the U.P. government and poli- and uh, U.P. police does not fly. Um, now, the Supreme Court uh, has, uh, I think, the verdict, uh, the, they postponed the hearing, right, uh, if I'm not wrong, Nidhi, for next week, right? Uh, I
2: think so. There's an Alabal High Court hearing for the 12th. Right. I don't
1: see anything on postponement yet. Okay. Did you come across anything, Ayush? No, I didn't, but I I remember calling the UP administration yesterday and they were saying, no, no we're not talking about the court uh, court order. So uh, I just know there's a court order, but yeah. I didn't follow up.
0: So basically, Supreme Court heard the PIL yesterday. All they said was that uh, the incident was extraordinarily shocking. Uh, mm-hmm. The UP police uh, continues to deny rape in the incident, and uh, they've been doing it on the basis of a forensic report that suggests that there were no signs of suggest uh, there were no signs suggestive of intercourse. Uh, but the two two doctors from the Aligarh hospital where the victim was first admitted have claimed that this report cannot be trusted. Right now, um. Uh, Nidhi here, who has been covering the story, she looked at medical records, accounts uh, from the victim's relatives, and based on that, she found that Uttar uh, Uttar Pradesh Police's handling of the investigation shows that the claim that she wasn't raped does not hold up, right? There are multiple loopholes in their claims, and Nidhi has done a report on it. So first, let's begin with Nidhi um, about the government's denial, uh, and let's speak to her about the government's denial of rape. Uh, Nidhi
2: yeah i mean i think first of all we have to understand that when the adg on october 1st came out and said that you know they didn't find any semen in her body and hence no rape Hmm. it's one of the most silliest arguments ever because let me just start with telling you that even to detect semen on a body there's basically four things that one ejaculation has to happen Hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean that if you know you're having intercourse ejaculation always has to happen and then if the ejaculation happens it has to happen on the body of the victim Right, And yeah. then it also means that if, if suppose ejaculation did happen on or in the victim, if she has had bleeding, that gets washed away. Hmm. Or if she's taken a, a bath after or cleaned herself, also it gets washed away. And moreover, semen can be detected in a body only for up to 90 hours or so, in 3-4 days and in the cervix for about 6-7 days. And the test, the fa- a rape examination was conducted only 8 days later. None of this ADG has ever said. And even now, doctors in Aligarh have come out and said that the rape examination was conducted almost 10 days later. Moreover, the forensics department has only collected her clothes and material on 24th, which is more than 10 days after the event, almost 10 days after the event. So I don't know how he's saying that, you know, there's there's no rape, especially given the fact that the victim has given two dying declarations recorded dying declarations we don't know if she's given any other but one in front of the dm where she's named her four rapists and said what's happened to her and another in a video where she doesn't name her name all three rapists she says that she brings up sandeep's name and she says Mere hua, which means that you know she's been forced somebody's forced herself themselves on her now it's very clear that this is the one which holds the highest evidentiary value in court It's admissible in court and law presumes that a victim who is on the verge of, uh, you know, or knows that, you know, they might not survive has no reason to lie. Law presumes that, you know, you're going to be telling the truth. Hmm. So it's just bizarre and it's very clear that this is just a distraction tactic. And in no way can they say that this will hold up. And there are so many things, like In the postmortem report, it clearly records an anal tear.
3: Hmm.
2: Now it doesn't say how old this tear is. Because if a post-mortem was done, say, more than two weeks after the attack, right. we don't know how old this tear is. It could say that it, it says, quote-unquote, old healed anal tear. Now, it, it could have begun healing, it could have healed, we don't know. But that's very strong evidence that maybe something has happened. Or if you're sure, you know, this is a very old tear, doctors can estimate somehow the age of the tear.
4: Right. Right?
2: And moreover, they, in, in, the, in the documents, it's very clear that she was not menstruating when the attack happened. She was not menstruating when she was admitted in the hospital. Neither was she menstruating when the rape examination took place. But exactly. the rape examination also mentions that she was wearing tampon and pad or sanitary napkins or tampons or sponge. right? So what, what was the bleeding from her vagina? Now the post-mortem report says that there is blood in the vagina, but it was menstrual blood. According like this, this, we have to again corroborate with the family whether... Mm-hmm. Uh, she started menstruating in the ICU or something uh, towards the towards the time of her death. Did that happen? We have to check. But it's very clear that during rape examination, she was not menstruating but the examiner has recorded that she did use sanitary pads or tampons or squalches. Hmm. So it just doesn't add up in any, in absolutely any way it doesn't add up. And there is a lot of blood on the hands of the hospital because the family told us that they, in fact, informed a doctor on the 17th, which is already almost three days after the attack. And uh, the doctors told them that we need to do something without this, which is a violation of the law. The doctors are supposed to attend to a patient as soon as they are, especially in the case of sexual assault, they have to attend and they have a responsibility to inform the police. Uh,
0: so, so this is the Aligarh hospital you're talking about?
2: Right, yeah, the Aligarh
0: hospital. So, uh,
2: when they did inform the Aligarh hospital on the 17th that, you know, there has been sexual assault as well, they immediately ran to the CEO's office, the circle officer's uh, office, and he wasn't there. The next day, along with community members, they went to the DM's office with a letter saying that we need rape charges to be added to the FIR, which was filed on 14th. The office does nothing. The next day the family runs to the SP's office. And the SP's office on their claim adds gang rape charges. And then she loses consciousness on 20th and 21st. Just imagine the amount of time that's lost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then on 22nd they do a rape examination. So it's just that it's just complete complacency and negligence on part of the administration. And you can imagine the family's distrust in the police because they then recorded a dying declaration or, or or maybe they didn't term it that way but a video statement at least of the girls saying this because they started feeling that you know, maybe the administration is not going to take sexual assault seriously. Right,
0: right. Exactly. None of this adds
2: up to the ADG's complete uh, claim.
0: Yeah, so it's not uh, it's not that, uh, you know, it's just uh, this denial of rape is uh, recent, right? It It's actually from the very beginning. I mean, they were trying their yeah. best to, uh, you know, stall it uh, or, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. try and I put think, it off.
2: I think that uh, something that's become very evident through uh, the research is that firstly, this was not an inevitable death. Hmm. Uh, this yeah. was simply not
0: prevented. Right. You know, like
2: It was just not taken care. Nobody was there for her. Nobody attended to her on time. That's what happened.
0: Right. Um. Okay, now uh, I'll come to you, Damni. Uh, you know, earlier in the morning when we were talking, you told me how uh, the government and the police's response is not really shocking to you because it's so common, uh, you know, especially when it is to do with cases where the Dalit community is involved, right? Can you can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, sure. The particular case that took place at
4: Hathras has uh, should be looked from the prism of the larger social-political dynamics and uh, the power and caste equation of Uttar Pradesh. Um, Since the very formation of the state, we have seen how Uttar Pradesh has predominantly been a state which has been ruled by uh, no uh, since 2014 has been uh, ruled by the dominant Shatya clan and that is the Thakur caste. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in Hathras, Hathras was I guess yeah in nine. It was formed in nineteen ninety seven, and it was made by you know incorporating two parts from Aligarh, Mathura, and Agra districts, and it comes. Uh, it falls in western Uttar Pradesh, and western Uttar Pradesh has a history of extreme violence and crime, and that all of that crime, most of that crime falls under uh, uh, caste based crime. And to understand you know, this particular case, we really need to look at the intersection of oppression mm-hmm. and the nexus of dominance, because and, uh, obviously the nexus of dominance will kind of determine, is it, it, going to determine the intersection of oppression, but I'm mm-hmm. here trying to look at the case in a larger circle. And the nexus of dominance, you know, when we study for this particular case, kind of reflects how cases have been dealt historically when it comes to Dalit women and especially in a state like Uttar Pradesh. Mm. I'll just mention one statistic from NCRB report of 2019 itself and where around more than 3500 Dalit women were raped in 2019 itself and this amounts to around 10 Dalit women being raped every day. Right. Crime rate against Dalits per 1 lakh population is 20.8% and this is recorded. Many of the cases are not even recorded because no, the moment the uh, victim goes to the police, they either try not to register the case or mm-hmm. they register the case in less serious and bailable offenses. So it's right. hardly that they register it. Uh, under a rape case, they will put some less serious sexual assault mm-hmm. or some other kind of a charge and will uh, try the best that the case is not registered in the correct uh, FIF. And this is something that we are seeing uh, here as well. Yeah. Most, uh, yes. And more importantly, um, the conviction rate for rapes against Dalit women is just 2%. Which is uh, which is in contrast to the conviction rate of 25% in rape cases against all women in India. Even that is low, but when we are contrasting it, 2% is severely low. And conviction rate would again mean that it is the result of the rape uh, rape cases which were reported. Mm-hmm. And majority of the cases, when it comes to Dalit women, the rape cases are not reported, and the way it is dealt later. Uh, uh, the entire administration, the nexus of dominance, like I was talking about, it constitutes the entire administration, the police, the regime, exactly. mm-hmm. uh, the media as well. And in this case, we have a clear, clear cut uh, example of Thakur supremacy, which is functioning uh, in Uttar Pradesh, uh, specifically with the Hatra case, because it is coming down from the top to uh, the bottom, right from the CM itself to the BJP leaders who are participating in something called justice accused, who are meeting the accused, going mm-hmm. to the prison and meeting them. One of the BJP ministers uh, talked about how it is the women who need to be given transkar yeah. instead of uh, the, uh, and yes, and that is the only way according to them, they it can stop it. In today's report itself, uh, uh, this uh, um, I saw how BJP leader Ranjit Bahadur Shivastava claimed that the victim was having an affair. With the accused mm-hmm. and called the victim as quote unquote avara and oh. said that the family killed her for having the affair and so he's trying to bring in a case of honor killing over here and he says that that he can guarantee that these boys are innocent and uh, when you know, and he's falsely saying that the victim's family has raised allegations of rape only when Congress visited so and this is a person who has 44 criminal cases registered against him. <laughs> yeah. right. And this kind of a dominance, no, I mean, this is impunity, which you derive mm. from your caste. And the caste-based system of Uttar Pradesh and in the entire country kind of actually determines who is going to be punished and who will be uh, termed as a, a criminal. Mm. Uh, uh, along with the ruling regime's leader, along with the CN, we have seen how caste and shayat were conducted with 12 villages of 12 mm. villages. Yeah. This place in Hudson, where there are only just four uh, Walniki families, can we even imagine the amount of threat and fear they are living under? And despite all this, I really would like to appreciate and salute the family for standing so strong, so bravely, even till now. And they have done almost everything. No, right? Um, I mean, in that very uh, painful and uh, uh, grievous situation, they went on to record the statement that itself was a very big thing. And right. even today, today itself, I saw it on the news that CCTV cameras have been in are being installed uh, at, at the victim's place. We saw how the DM also tried to uh, pressurise them. The video got leaked. Also, the video of the journalist who talked mostly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, 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 along with this, the the way the caste panchayats are being conducted, especially at this point of time, and they're talking about and they clearly, you know, protecting shielding the rapists. And apart from this, the mainstream media is also playing the level best to take the case to another direction, to divert it, to make it so complex and blur the constipation, blur the nuances of the case so that people kind of disengage with it. Mm-hmm. One of the reporters from the mainstream news channel, a news channel which is widely seen in the middle class uh, middle class families at home, she went on and got the testimony of powerful households and said that these uh, 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 the sisters of Hathras want justice for the brothers. What oh, kind no. of uh, reporting is this? And this entire, this is a very dominant nexus where uh, under the caste-based nexus, under the Thakur supremacy, the Thakur uh, CM, the Thakur journalist, again, uh, from the mainstream news channel, the police, the caste manchais, all are kind of, you know, holding hands in hand mm. to prove the point that the rape did not happen and to deny justice.
1: Right. Well, Damini, this news laundry, so you should feel free to name these channels. I think you're talking yeah, about Ajhtak, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw those segments, yeah. yes.
0: Yeah. So, Damini, there's one more thing. Now, I know this might come across as very daft, but there is. It, I think it's really important to address this problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Because even now, in spite of seeing this, see, this is one case, like you said, you know, you're not shocked by this because you've seen this happen over and over again, right? But now, since it has got uh, so much attention from the media, even now, a lot of upper caste people, including women, they continue to say that rape is rape and it has nothing to do with caste. So, what would you like to say to uh, these people? Like, how, I mean, can you, like, you know, Yeah,
4: exactly. I would like to mention the very fact that this particular case is not it's uh, it's it, it's a caste-based atrocity. Not only because of the fact that the uh, elite rapist or you no, know, the accused came from the Thakur caste. No, it's not just because of that fact alone. Okay. If we see the entire proceeding, the way the case has taken, has been handled post the atrocity itself reflects that it's a caste-based atrocity. We're not even uh, just, we're not just focusing on okay, the criminal, the accused criminal is from so-and-so caste and we're calling it caste. No, you can one can actually see how. A uh, caste. This case is when we look at panchayats of the Thakur uh, community and the Brahmin community coming together to shield the rapist. When we see the CM and the uh, ruling regime's you know, uh, leaders kind of commenting on such you no know, misogynist statements and shielding the rapist, we can see you no know, the how come a, a significant section, uh, which is you no know, predominantly the castes, no. Uh, section of journalists you no, know, coming and the journalist that I was talking from is also from the Thakur community right. uh, which you no know, goes over there and says that the uh, sisters want justice for the brother. So this is, I mean, to understand the caste nuance, it is not that difficult. It is if you want to see, if it, it is, just you know, few people are reluctant to understand, to take and absorb that thing that it is caste-based. And they want to de-link it from the caste nexus. And there have been Statistics, official statistics saying how uh, you know, NFHS records, the records have mentioned how the, uh, the uh, atrocity and brutality when it comes to Dalit women is so, so high. Mm. In a very recent report in BBC, it was also mentioned that Dalit women are the most vulnerable women in the entire world. Mm. The uh, statistic that I mentioned about the conviction rate, whereas it's the two percent of uh uh two percent is the conviction rate of in the case of Dalit women, and we have 25 percent uh conviction rate in the case of women altogether, also no kind of uh, shows very clearly that how there is uh um, how caste is playing such a major role over here. Mm-hmm. And um are well, also according you no know, to the NCRB data, 13.9% of all atrocities against SDs and uh, 14.8% of all crimes against SCs were rape or sexual assault. So, rape as a tool to quote yeah. and vote yeah. a lesson to the lower caste community is not new. It has historically been used in so many massacres. It has been used and. Um, at this point of time and I don't think so uh, uh, that feminism is complete or if it if feminism to be complete and to talk about justice needs to be intersectional Mm. and then each a person could do is to at least recognize it as Mm. a caste is atrocity it is it is very much directly showing not only in terms of who committed it but the entire nexus of caste actually the Thakur Supreme assist who ganged up together to try their best that the case is not taken forward.
2: Right, right. Um, um, just yeah. I think half an hour ago, uh, news came in that like the Kerala journalist who uh, was on his way to heart and then arrested is now being slapped with UABA. Yeah. To the extent that they will go to completely shut everything, every possible uh, expression.
4: Yeah. Right. And right. This, yeah. And uh, I, I think some student leaders from CFI have also been arrested uh, in the same regards, and now the uh, yeah, one of the mainstream news channels only yes, March third yes I, yeah. so they were talking about how funding has been done and to was they found from PFI, some group has found money uh, they they found money from some groups and yeah. then some bank transfers happened, and how it is an international plot, an international conspiracy to uh, defame yeah. this person, Yogi. I mean, it is international, surely, yeah, but international solidarity. Mm. Uh, which we are having at this point of time. Because Ambedkarite organizations uh, and student organizations, not only in Delhi uh, or India alone, but organizations abroad also have come in solidarity and they have staged protests across. And today itself, the Ambedkarite organizations from America and Canada, mm. they have together, came up with a statement which they sent to the United Nations Secretary yeah. General, United Nations Human Rights Commissioner and UN and the Executive Director of UN Women and they have tried their best to raise this issue at an international level because mm-hmm. the kind of pressure with which, with which Dalits are living in the country I don't see any hope coming from the government because the government actually wants to commit crimes on this community. The government's plan idea since CA and of creating a Hindu Rashtra is clearly indicative of such things. And certain communities, the marginalized on the basis of religion, on the basis of caste, live in a terrible amount of fear. In and in, in this fear, we, we cannot even calculate this amount of fear. And uh, international recognition of this problem, you know, of recognizing caste discrimination as a
0: human rights violation is necessary. Right, right. Now, you're talking about the international plot, Ayush, yeah. Uh, can you can you tell our listeners a little more about uh, on what basis the uh, Yogi government is claiming that there is an international plot to defame him and his government?
1: Well, the actual basis is that he's facing criticism. <laughs> but what he's yeah. used uh, primarily is this website that was created on a platform called Card. Mm -hmm. Uh, Its platform is used for civil rights protests in Hong Kong during the pro-democracy protests and in the United States when the Black Lives uh, movement was triggered again after George Floyd's killing. Hmm. And it's not really a website, it's just a web page, right? You can hmm. just go click on certain links and it'll direct you on a single page to materials. Hmm. And this uh, was, the this website, I think the URL was justice for with tim.car.co, okay which was created by, I'm told, by people who are reliable, by a school-going uh, individual, very young, a minor. Hmm. And oh, that that person used a lot of uh, material from websites. Again, the similar pages on the on the BLM or yeah. from Hong Kong,
3: yeah.
1: and that person copy pasted it on that website. So it was it was really done very with hubris and put together. And I, I remember when the whole issue had blown over; these things were being shared on Instagram. So people were sharing posts like, "If you can't go to protest, this is what you can do." Uh, you can email certain things uh, to these officers. Or if you're going to protest, these are the precautions you should take.
3: Right.
1: Uh, so it was created with a lot of hubris, a lot of copy-pasting. And they've used that website uh, and turned that into intelligence input. And I think the DGP of the UP police uh, on the 5th of October came, uh, it sat in a press conference and said there's an international plot <laughs> to incite riots across uh, across Uttar Pradesh, caste-based riots. The chief minister came. He added, he went a step further. He said, not only really caste-based, but also communal." Mm, yeah. And this is because our state is, uh, you know, uh, in the in the in the process of providing lacks of jobs to youth, and this government is doing great work. And of course, the opposition wants to, uh, you know, make make everything uh, demolish all of that. Okay. So it was framed in those terms, and if you read those, <laughs> the intelligence input of the UP police, it says things like, if you see white supremacists, you should, you know, not fall in the trap, or if you see black people running you should run with them and one, one really wonders where you find black people running in Hathras. <laughs> or where you find okay. uber in Hathras where it says you should avoid uber so it's just it's a sham what it's what it is yeah and it's just trying to make anything stick and as nidhi pointed out they have a anti terror law being used on uh, activist journalists so i think any anything will stick as long as uh, you know the right people turn turn their sight away
0: Right, right. right. Okay, so, uh, so just now I think uh, there's a report by the Quint. Uh, I think this video went viral also uh, yesterday, day before, two days ago, maybe there's this upper caste leader, uh, who is like threatening uh, 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 the uh, victim's family, right. And he apparently he also threatened Bhimarami chief Chandrasekhar Azad in front of the police. And now he's issued an open threat, right. And um, He's saying that, uh, you know, now I would dress more than uh, 5,000 people, but if political leaders don't stop visiting the Dalit victims' family, I will not be able to control my karyakartas. Now, this person is a former member of the RSS, and he started this organization called Rashtriya Savarna Sangathan. Uh, Basically, it's an anti-reservation upper caste outfit in uh, Uttar Pradesh, right? Uh, so uh, Damni, uh, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, you did sort of touch upon the dynamics of caste in uh, Uttar Pradesh, but could you tell our listeners like how it functions on a day-to-day basis in rural UP? Absolutely, and um, I, I think uh, not just
4: uh, in Uttar Pradesh alone, but uh, in India as no as a society, because more than a nation i i consider this as a society because for, for something to be a nation one has to have a common historical background one needs to have a common culture common you no know, some commonality into it but how india was basically constructed was actually as an anti-colonial struggle so the small you no know, provinces and all they were joined okay so that's the part of history but um uh, for nationalism to actually take place i think Democracy is important, right? Mm-hmm. And though India is electorally a democracy, politically also a democracy, but socially India is not a democracy, and that's the pi- point where we really need to work upon. And when we talk about social democracy, we talk about how we treat each other. And some in a caste-based society, every other person coming from every other caste, not only no, as uh, in like the divisions will not only be very broad. No, in terms of Brahmin, Shatriya, Vaishya, Shudas, Not just that, mm. but very small divisions would be there in the caste society. And every two person from two different castes would believe that the one or the other person is uh, supreme to the 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 other person. Okay, and the distinction will come into very like the caste system is not that broadly divided, but it is into a lot of complexities, into a lot of you no. Know, a uh, narrowing down we really have to narrow down into gotras and into jatis mm. and there are several jatis and for this purpose sambedka used the term graded inequality and when we talk about discrimination or on the basis of caste system i think the every act right from your birth certificate when you get a name and you get a surname from the very time that point of time till you, you know, reach your college and the kind of education that you get is actually determined by your social, economic, and cultural position. That is actually determined by your, uh, where you stand in this hierarchical ladder of caste system. Mm -hmm. And here in this country, the caste and class totally overlap at so many instances. So when we talk about discrimination, we really have to see where are we placed and the place, you know where we are actually functioning, you know, uh, in terms of education, profession, employment, in in terms of achievement and goals, also is mm-hmm. kind of having a determinant, and that determination determinant of socio political, economic, cultural privilege is actually backed by caste system in right. India. So, I think when we talk about caste based discrimination we should not reduce it only to look at atrocities but we'll have to see how how we function how our everyday exactly. life and on a day to day basis yeah exactly yeah and caste system is not just you no know, we, we we shouldn't feel sad only when a person is brutally beaten up because of caste we should also feel sad that a person couldn't get a you no know, uh, uh, get good education because of this caste we should also feel sad that a person could not you no know, uh, is is unequal the very understanding of why are we thinking that a person is unequal, just because he's born into certain caste. Um And when it comes to discrimination, it happens across you know, across areas. It does not take place, or it is not restricted or limited to rural alone, but it happens very much in the urban spaces. A very recent report was uh, out which mentioned that how the urban spaces uh, in in most of the metropolitan cities, including some thing, uh, some cities like Kolkata as well, in eighty percent of these cities, not a single Dalit left mm-hmm. And we can see even in fact in Delhi as well, there are ghettoised communities, there are gated communities which will have long gates to prevent their societies, uh, to prevent you no know, the societies from this unclean, you no know, shabby and you no know, these. Things which people would not want, the other people would ent- to enter in the societies. So we have a set of gated communities, and then we have ghettoised communities. You mm-hmm. see the metro going over there, and beneath people are living. And there are or these ghettoised communities are very much there in a posh area like South Delhi. Mm-hmm. You see few high malls, and just beneath behind them there is a Ravidas which mm-hmm. is a car space locality. So these stark differences are very much present. In this social-spatial uh, configuration, so this space mm. in which we live is also kind of a result of the social-economic-cultural power relations. And when we enter in a university, you, uh, uh, we have all known about the suicide of Rohit Mehmeda yes. and Paya Darby. These people, these young Dalits who entered to university and were doing good, were actually, actually decided because of this caste-based information which they face at the university level. It functions not only when the person, you know, comes and asks you, Go, come on, tell me your caste. No, it happens in very subtle manners. So they either try to figure out which caste you belong to or they would like, or they would want you to not participate in some functions, in some events. No, they, they're not, the feeling of equality will not be there. And that's why I think Ambedkar was very right in saying that Brahminism or caste system is a denial of, of the feeling of liberty, quality and fraternity. It's the denial of that brotherhood, the solidarity itself. Mm-hmm. And so the discrimination, it, it is not restricted to the boundaries of, or the bi, bi, binaries of the rural and the urban, but takes place across and determines that everyday patterns of life. And when it comes to the rural, when it comes to the villages, uh, the village panchayas themselves no, which the the government gives so much power mm. to decisions and all they are the biggest oppressors for the lower caste because they kind of determine who get the resources. Mm. So many Dalits do not have land, they do not have jobs, do not have money to sustain themselves. And all those resources are determined by these caste panchayats. No, they actually give it out and then the kind of atrocious crimes and sexual crimes that takes place. That, that makes it even more brutal. Right, right.
2: Um. Can I just ask you a question? I'm also very curious to know about uh, how is caste, how does caste play out in newsrooms? Like even in this case, for example, I am also, I mean, I come from an upper caste and I'm constantly also struggling with whether I'm missing out nuances, it's not a lived experience i've had mm-hmm. so i'm also constantly asking myself you know what how, what what are the things that i should be listening for what are the things i should be writing what what are the stories i'm missing out in in little little ways so i'm also very curious to know what how do you think that this kind of coverage should happen and is there enough Inclusivity in terms of caste in newsrooms itself.
4: I would like to appreciate you, Nidhi, for the very fact that you acknowledge, you know that uh, how in, how dominantly caste face in, in those spaces like newsrooms and in, in journalism altogether, and the very fact that you know actually want to engage in this because a large amount of you no know, public in this country is so oblivious to one's own privilege. I mean, they would exercise everything, every resource, every privilege based on the caste system and would later deny that, no, caste system does not exist. It exists only in the form of reservation because these people come and take our seats and we worked hard. We had married, they did not. And this kind of nonsense, no, this kind of rhetoric, which is dominant, it kind of denies the atrocities, denies the brutalities of caste system in the first place. Coming to journalism, um, there, was, there were reports in 1066, and where well, well, two important points were mentioned, that first of all, the uh, the when we talk about journalism, the dominance of the upper caste, you know, is very much there, and both in English journalism and the Hindi media itself. Both in the print media and as well as on the television channel. So it is basically predominated by the upper caste. So when it comes in terms of representation, there's lack of representation from people from the lower caste communities. Now, secondly, in much of the mainstream uh, journalism, what happens is they work according to the audience. The audience is also an upper caste, upper class, or middle class family households who no who feel uncomfortable when the media shows about caste because they have just one way of looking at it they just look caste as synonymous to reservation and they do not see it has a broad social code of conduct so what happens first of all there is no there, there's a lack of representation in the mainstream journalism of the people from the lower caste community then the content of the journalism kind of caters to the demand the wishes and needs of again the upper caste, upper class uh, uh, public, the audience, and uh, so the issues of caste. You no, know, it is I think only just heartless, which is being uh, you no know, uh, talked about. So many atrocities happen in this country on the basis of caste, and they do not even talk about it. It takes a lot of efforts to make one issue to reach uh, to a point that people are talking about it. And much of the mainstream journalists actually talked about it when political parties got involved in it. So had political parties not been involved in it, I I, I feel that this case would have also been faded. But now then the political parties' involvement and the CM and you know, the audios were leaked. Because of all of this, they kind of talked about it. So apart from the representation and catering to the audience, they kind of do not talk about caste in totality. They don't talk about it as an issue. And if they do talk about it, then they talk in a very negative and even more wrong sense, where they actually kind of blame the victim, blame the lower caste for the position in which they are. So there there are a lot of problems. And I think if we could include more journalists from these communities, uh, from the uh, marginalized communities, then I think the space will become more inclusive. And when it comes to uh understand uh, to analyze and to understand the nuances of caste i think a kind of engagement discussion is very important because since two people are from two different communities from two different uh, positions of hierarchy i think um, the, that as like you told you no know, the experience really determines you no know, really matters so what we can learn from each other is through one's experience and to not only acknowledge our privilege but you always know uh, kind of work towards annihilating this system mm-hmm. because you know, the entire goal of annihilation of caste will not come only by the lips it is going to be a combined goal it is it will require the involvement of people progressive people from all the caste and that's how it will take place and over, uh, moreover caste uh, system is not the issue of dalits alone atrocities happen on them yes But caste system is very well a question of the upper caste system, because they too derive no uh, certain resources and privilege from it. So we we need to come at a meeting ground, that meeting ground can be established when enough representation is given from people from all the marginalized communities. And when we actually hear them out, like the way you're doing right now. And so this kind of engagement, I think, can be the very starting point, and then we can build you know a better world when we all kind of function not only to research the question of dalit to research caste with atrocities but to also work on our upper caste family so those who come from upper caste uh, households and families, i think they can also engage in some kind of a conversation with their own families so their mm. extended families their friends as well to talk about caste to know sen- uh, to sensitize them about it and if the upper caste uh, community you know, kind of starts working in their own communities to stop this discrimination. I think uh, nothing can be more better than this. Right.
2: So I just have a follow up. Um, you know, when I have always felt like when a male reporter and a female reporter go to the field to cover a, cover the same story, sometimes you get two different stories simply because of your own identity. Okay. And in this case, I was also wondering, uh does that happen with caste as well like i often feel the very fact that i don't even have to think about caste as a privilege in itself and then when i go on field i am sometimes wondering if i'm having the access like in this case for example to speak to the accused family itself the way they might have welcomed me or the way they might have spoken to me might have been determined i don't know might have been determined by my caste but i'm wondering what is it like also for uh uh, for someone from the dalit community to be reporting on caste issues. Is there a discrimination that you feel as well or that reporters from the Dalit community feel as well? Because I I, I don't know how to even recognize it.
4: Yeah, and I think that's where no experience and one's own location plays such a big role, no? And uh, something back, I was talking to Snekda and I was just mentioning this thing out that since the uh, incident took place, I, I I was also, when the incident took place, you No, know, when when she died actually, mm-hmm. uh, a lot, many news reporters and all, they contacted me, but I couldn't uh, respond to them. I, I just said that I will not be able to talk at this point of time, because at that point of time, none of us were fine. And it isn't that we have, you know, that we're fine, that we're very at a very good position right now. That's not true, but at least we're recovering. But at that particular point of time, when you get to know about this thing, it's something very personal because we feel that even if i'm sitting in delhi but people from my community are at you no know, are threatened are at a very terrible uh, amount of fear in uttar pradesh and that's the constant panic and anxiety under which i was going through for some some days see, uh, and uh, and more, more uh, mostly because you no know, since yogi uh, said about and Since then, I am actually in a state of no anxiety as to, maybe I I am not sure what might happen. Because I've seen something like the Delhi riots over here and things could turn terribly bad. And so when when we talk about the lower caste journalists reporting it, I think there's also this element which is so close to heart and it, it feels like a very personal pain. And I'm not saying that only the people from the same community would feel, no. People from different communities could feel you no know, the same uh, this kind of pain, but for a person from the lower journalist uh, this pain would I, I think it when the moment you no know, they go and report it will know more than questions and answers. it's it's kind of a very um, did they feel enraged because of the situation? They are in grief, they are in pain, and after recovering you no know, their own self, they then move forward to. Uh, Report the scene, and they ask questions in that sense uh, itself. And so, I think the way, and uh, in fact, the questions too might uh, differ at times. Uh, for example, when Una incident took place, um, the people from the lower caste community they went in front of the officials and they threw death caste. Okay. Mm. And the meaning of throwing dead carcasses meant that we're not going to do this work which you have imposed on us because of system, Because cleaning, you know, and uh, because man is scavenging, it itself is such a livid reality of the country. These people actually have to go inside the gutter and do work. They actually have to deal with dead carcasses. They actually have to deal with, you no, know, these this dirty and inhuman work. So when they actually throw those things in front of the officers, it has a very different meaning. It means that they have said that they are not going to do this work. So it has a very uh, cultural symbol, a significance attached to it. But for I, I think a lot many uh, reporters who did not know about this caste dynamic that throwing that garbage, throwing waste in front of the officials has a caste meaning, has a caste significance. No, uh, uh, do those journalists kind of no, did not recognize that Uh, nuance. They did not recognize why they did so. And even in this case, um, some India today uh, actually said that they went and threw uh, waste in front of the officials. No, when they throw waste, when a lower caste person who picks up waste, whose profession has been determined by the caste system to pick the waste, when that person throws the waste in front of the officials, it has a very different meaning. It has a very revolutionary meaning inscribed in it. It is it is a form of resistance where he says that I'm not going to do this caste post work. Do whatever you want to do. So that kind uh, of difference really emerges when you no, know, on uh, uh, how uh, anti caste callers, activists, or reporters would see, or how uh, journalists from the mainstream would uh, recognize it. So I think this kind of an understanding can only be developed when we engage in this conversation, where we understand how your resistance is also having a caste uh, nuance to it.
0: Right. Thank you so much, uh, Damni. Uh, I'll get to Ayush now. So talking about uh, UP governments and UP police's handling of the entire case, uh, hmm. Ayush, I'm sure you can see many parallels between Delhi police and UP police. Now, yeah. uh, okay, so listeners, uh, Ayush just yesterday filed this really good report on how the UP government is trying to save the officials who were accused by the CBI of protecting the BJP MLA Kuldeep Singh Sengar in the Unao case. Now, Ayush, you also covered the Chinmayanand case last year, right? And you and, uh, also find, found some shocking stuff there, Um how they yeah. were trying to blame the victim, right? Um, yeah. There, there seems to be a pattern here. I think someone in your report also pointed out that the Yogi government tried to protect Sengar, Chinmayanand, and the men mm. accused in Hathras, and that is the crux of the matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. But Chinmayanand, of course, you know, uh, Sengar uh, has has a great uh, electoral clout. You know, now had now he's being he kicked out of the BJP. Mm. but uh, he uh, especially among the upper caste thakur votes he used to exercise a lot of influence and uh, if you are in politics and if you are practicing politics in uttar pradesh these caste equations mm. you know especially since amit shah came to the scene really matter mm. for bjp Chinmyanand is also important because he is the lord of the, the town called Shah Yeah. Everything there works on his, the businesses uh, are the friends there invest in his colleges. The journalists send their school, chips can send their kids in his schools. Mm. Uh, it's, it's And he was, of course, been there since uh, he was participated in the Ram Janma Bhoomi movement. So he's a local autocrat. Mm. So these are very important people. And Chinman especially was a very good friend. It probably still is of Yogi Adityanath. Of course. So, uh, when uh, and the Chinman case that happened last year was not the first time he had been accused of uh, sexual harassment. Hmm. It was the third or fourth time, and the cases earlier that he had on him had been quashed on Yogi's orders. Hmm. In fact, the cases on Yogi were also quashed on Yogi's orders. Wow. <laughs> so he. Yeah. So that, that's the kind of track record. But yes, they. The. the I was ta- for my piece. I talked to Surya Pratap Singh, who was a former IS officer, retired. Hmm. And he's a spokesperson of the tribal army and he was telling me that it's just a season of them protecting their own ilk. Hmm. So what in my story on on now, what emerged was that uh, when Sengar was convicted finally, that this happened last year during the, actually it got uh, shrouded over and did get much attention because of the CA thing. Yeah, But in December he was convicted. Mm. And two months after he was convicted, the CBI wrote to the UP police, UP government Mm. saying there are officers who are equally guilty in protecting this guy. Take an action on him. The UP government, I think, did not reply for six months. And when they did reply, they said that you should give us the names. So CBI gave them the names in August.
3: Mm.
1: Uh, They sat on it. And we now know that the four names that they did get Mm. involved two SPs of UNNA. During mm. singer, Singer's time, one both, DM. Both
0: women, right?
1: Yeah, three yeah. of them are women. Three so women, the, the, yeah. both SPs are women, mm. uh, and uh, the DM was a woman, woman mm. sorry, and the additional uh, superintendent of police, the ASP, mm. who was a man. So uh, the, these four were named, but we know that since after the letter was written, um, one of the officers, Pushpanjari Devi, who was uh, the SP, mm. was given a plum posting you can actually say comfortable posting as the DIG of railways in Lucknow and it's I was I I clarified this with other officers and they said it's not a punishment posting for sure it's not a very plump posting too but it's a comfortable posting and she was SP now and the DIG is two positions above above SP in the police hierarchy by the way and on the day the Hathras, uh, the Dalit girl from Hatras, died in Saftajang in Delhi. Mm. Same day, the DM got a clean shit from the UP government. Uh-huh.
3: Uh,
1: and they said uh, she's not at fault and she's free to go. And she she sent out a press note and this was completely ignored in the mainstream press, for example.
3: Mm. No
1: one reported this. this was, I found this on I found this in Umar Ojala and Patrika, etc. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, this just adds to Uh, The whole thing that I think in UP, uh, we have a a regime that is not even acknowledging or taking seriously, you know, uh, crime against women. Mm. For them to cross the bridge of caste-based sexual violence is even further. Yeah. So it's a long trek and I don't know, it's not even starting for some reason.
0: Right, right. Um, okay, Damni, I'll come back to you for uh, any closing comments that you have. I would really like to thank you, Laundry for you no know, um this very important discussion
4: on caste based sexual crime and to recognize it as a caste based crime itself. When we are seeing how the mainstream media is trying to first when we talk about caste based crimes, the first thing they do is to, you know say that it is not a caste-based crime. The first thing is to blur the caste equation. Mm. And then they go on forward to protect and to present the propaganda of the ruling regime. And that, that is what they're good at. And the last ingredient of their uh, wonderful journalism is to portray the um, protesters and portray the people raising their voice as, you no. Know, some infringed elements, some yeah. international plot, some you no know, right. uh, seditious elements of the country and all of that. So that's how you know, they do their groundwork with these three elements. And at this point of time to have uh, alternative media talking about some real issues, talking about the truth and reality of the case and of a case of a caste-based sexual crime, um, I think uh, this gives hope. And this actually gives hope to activists like me and to you know, um uh, students studying in universities who are still no figuring out where to um uh, uh, what news to rely upon and mm. so it it plays a great role of the and i would really like to appreciate the alternative media and news laundry to take this discussion up and um, i think this case has been deliberately failed at Several points, the loopholes have been there at all levels, right from the CM, from the government, uh, uh, to the police, the investigation, the caste charge, and all of that. And soon, they might know, portray it in a very different angle. Mm -hmm. I think what we should do is to keep building the solidarity, even more stronger, in a more stronger sense, to make the solidarity international, because caste-based discrimination is a violation of human rights, like I said. And, you know, to keep this movement going on. And while we're talking about this as a movement, I think this should also be an anti-caste movement. So we're actually recognizing that caste-based sexual crime is a reality in this country. And especially in states like Uttar Pradesh, where, you know, uh, the caste dominance is so prominently uh, visible. Mm. And... um, and I hope that, you know, we keep this fight on mm-hmm. and uh, the we, we kind of, you know, keep fighting against this because I just fear that um, the case should not fade right. over time because, no, you know, there's so much happening around. And if the case fades, we're going to lose an opportunity, an important opportunity where we could have raised mm-hmm. uh,
0: uh, our voices against caste-based sexual crimes right thank you so much for joining us uh, damni and nidhi and ayush uh, this was a very important discussion and um, i think that brings us to the end of our podcast um, we shall finish off with some recommendations who wants to go first nidhi
2: so i'd like to recommend something that uh, i have actually previously recommended in reporters without orders i think this was in 2017 or 18 um this is a book called uh, The Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Aleksevich. I just find that every time, at least as a reporter, I have always like, uh, looked for why am I doing this work and what is it that you know that makes people wake up and continuously document uh, really grotesque stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, this author Svetlana actually give, gave me personally a lot of purpose in, in, and value in documentation. And apart from that, she's a brilliant writer who uh, who really gave me perspective on certain things that, you know, as a reporter, you get so caught up in covering facts and figures and these larger pictures, but there is so much value in um, intimate details, in nuanced information that you just sometimes can't quantify, uh, but they still exist. And for me, she's that perfect balance between, you know, what what sometimes is just left out by a reporter, but hmm. still spent by someone by a survivor on field, and she finds a beautiful way to bridge that. So I would really recommend any writing of hers, but I particularly like like uh, this one book called *The Unwomanly Face of War*.
0: Thank you so much, Nidhi. and uh, Damni. Yeah, sure. Um, I would like to recommend a book and a documentary. Hmm. Um, the book is a
4: very basic book when it comes to anti-caste literature and I think most of the people would have also read if they're engaging with on the question of caste but I think this should be an elementary and important read for uh, everyone to uh, especially in a country like India where it uh, where uh, hierarchies are so much determined by caste system and the book is by Dr. B.R. Ambedkar and it is The annihilation of Caste, a small 50-page book but it kind of opens you know, one's understanding as to why what and in, in which manner are things happening have happened before and are happening even today? Mm. It will also kind of answer why are caste bench supporting rape a lead uh, rapist and why you know in fact women you know kind of are a part of this uh, shielding of the rapist mm. and it, it it is going to you no know, give us a very clear understanding as to how our system has functioned and is functioning in this particular case. Along with this, uh, I would like to recommend a documentary called India Untouched. Uh, that's again on caste system and will tell us how discrimination happens
0: when we talk about caste system. All right, thank you so much, Damini. Ayush, uh,
1: I would recommend uh, this documentary called uh, Big Bad Billionaires yeah. or <laughs> Bad Boy Billionaires. Bad Sorry. Boy Billionaires. Yes. Yeah. Bad Boy Billionaires on Netflix. Uh, I just finished watching the last episode this morning I'm really impressed with uh, you know the way they've profiled these uh, three gentlemen Vijay Malya Neerav Modi and uh, Subrata Roy and it's 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 a good kind of uh, nonfiction documentary making that's come to india so I feel quite happy about that so we mm-hmm. should watch that uh, second is uh, again a book on by this phd scholar called Nishikant Kolge called Gandhi against caste Hmm. and this book came out i think 2 3 years ago and uh, it was a very refreshing read when i first read it because it it doesn't you doesn't use uh, gandhi's writings on caste as much as it looks at his own practices on caste
0: oh.
1: and uh, that is in, these, in his own ashrams the way he would uh, you know put caste into practice and uh, rules he would create right. to mm. uh, actually go against caste hierarchies. And mm-hmm. very interesting side of Gandhi, I really did not know, but discovered through this book. So it's called Gandhi Against Caste by Nishikan Kolge.
0: Great. Thank you so yeah. much. So my recommendation this week is this book called In Evil R by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. In fact, it was the first book that he published. And it is set in uh, in the 1950s during this period that was called uh, La Valencia that was marked with a uh, constant fighting between uh, liberals and conservatives in Colombia. And uh, it's a small town. It's set in a small town where, you know, everybody knows everybody and the main characters are the priest and the mayor and the judge. And um, and the exact time in which it is set is, you know, you can sense this sort of foreboding uh, amongst the residents of the town. Like there is this uh, moment of peace, right? There is this lull that's going on, but people still don't believe that, uh, you know, the violence has ended. And uh, everything starts with uh, some unknown people posting these lampoons right? All over town. It's basically local gossip, right? It's about uh, mostly stuff like adultery and uh, it leads to killings. And then how all of that unleashes, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, what do I say this period, again, it goes back to basically the same thing, how the uh, tension, the tensions and all that that were already there in the town that they get flared up. And it's really nice. It's a quick read. I think uh, Most of you will enjoy it. All right. That brings us to the end. Uh, Listeners, if you liked what you heard, please do rate our podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you tuned into. We also have a bunch of other podcasts like Hafta and Awful and Awesome. Better the rating, more the reach. And that means more subscribers. And that means better content.
2: If you like what you just heard and you like this podcast, please share it with your family and friends and please go to newslaundry.com and subscribe to us. If not, you can continue listening to us on multiple different platforms.
0: Yes, and also we're very eager to hear your feedback. So please do write to us at contact at newslaundry.com with reporters without orders in the subject line. And please feel free to criticize because we want to get better. You could also leave your comments on Twitter or Instagram or our Facebook page. And with that, this podcast is adjourned. Thank you and see you next week.
3: All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other
2: podcast platform.
0: Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent